Episode 8. Uh, excuse me, Mr. General Manager, who's running my radio station. I'd like to take you to lunch. Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. Guys, your voice. Let's do the entertainment update. Is it a service of anybody this morning? Mobile Mart. Mobile where you Mart. get the finest gas in town. Here you go. There Join you go. us at Cannonsburg for the Grand Rapids Symphony's NBD Pigment Pop series. Don't start making noises, Jay. Comes up Thursday and Friday. Symphony do will be that. joined by the Louisiana Jazz Repertory Ensemble. Repertory? Repertory. Oh. Mm. Uh-uh. No. Rapping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I hope they play that Gator Classic thing. <laughs> I love that. I'm telling you, Gator it brings a tear to the, the eye. The Battle of New Orleans. <laughs> In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we fought the mighty British in the town of New Orleans. Fired our guns in the... <laughs> you guys, you should take it on the road. And that's the way it works. That was an old bit that we had with uh, Dave and Jerry and our producer at the time. That was the other voice you heard in there, John Roberts. I'm going to explain all that to you in just a few minutes. But first... We have to introduce ourselves. I'm Dave Jagger. And I'm Don Nelson. Don, when we left you last, getting ready to go into St. Joe, Missouri from Indianapolis, what's the deal? The group that purchased KOKX in Keokuk uh, found a wonderful opportunity in St. Joe, Missouri. There was a station there that had been put on the air originally by a legendary name, George Marty. Marty had... Uh, remote broadcast units in virtually every radio station in America. And he yes, he sold, did. He sold his property, his interest in KKJO to Tom Elkins, who was another legendary oh name in the business then. Uh, the yeah, back in the broadcast. 60s and 70s, boy, that was huge. I mean, Elkins, Marty, these are big names. Uh, Moog, you've met them all. The giants <laughs> of the industry. Well, Elkins uh, bought the property for $150,000, and in those days, you had to hold a radio station for three years before you could flip it. That was the anti-flipping rule. Uh, And so we knew that three years from the date that he bought it, it would be on the market probably for double, and and with Elkins, it was a little more than double. It was actually $350,000 that he asked and we paid for the property. KKJO is a 5,000-watt radio station just to the right of the glove box. Almost to 1,600. And that's as far as it goes. Now, to make things even more difficult, the property had five towers, and it was highly directional because we were uh, protecting another station up in the Dakotas. Yeah, sure. For some people that may not know, uh, 5,000 watts is a lot of power behind an AM radio signal. And that sucker could bounce forever. So they had different antenna arrays, those of us in radio know about this, to block the signal from going a certain direction. And that's what a directional antenna was. So you guys had five of them, right? Yeah, all of them uh, sitting in a neat little row on a hill. And when you were actually up there, you could look down on the towers for the number one station in Kansas City, WHB. So we were that close to the Kansas City Metroplex. 
Step one for us as new owners was to hire a manager, a local manager for the radio station. Someone in our group recommended a young man from a small market uh, up in Iowa, said this guy should be terrific. He came in, we set up all of our systems and what have you, and my job was to go back and forth to St. Joe twice a month to meet with the manager and the other employees to make sure everything was operating smoothly. Well, after the first month, we got the profit and loss statement, which uh, is something that should give you a very good indication of everything that's going on in the radio station, except the more I looked at it, uh, it had some something strange about it, and I couldn't figure it out. Let it go. The next month, same thing. I'm looking at it. There's just something that's not right. Third month, I'm sitting at home with the statement staring at it when Vern Flambeau calls and says, you got the St. Joe station. Do you have the information in front of you? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, what's wrong with it? And I said, I don't know, but there's something strange and I can't figure it out. He said, let's go to St. Joe. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I meet him. Time uh, to take the trip with the president of the company, Don. I, I meet I meet Vern Flambeau at the Kansas City Airport. We drive up. We built a list of questions. And Vern went in to the station manager and asked the questions. And I went to the bookkeeper and asked the same questions. Guess what? We got Two different sets of answers. Uh-huh. And the bookkeeper uh, looked at me and said, you know, I thought this was all kind of strange, but I mean, he's your guy. So I didn't say anything. Actually, what had happened, the reason we didn't catch it is he started skimming day one. Mm. And just a couple of days into the month, he had the bookkeeper write him a check for $5,000. He then the last day of the month, wrote a check back to the radio station, paying back the $5,000. In those days, the float on a personal check was about 10 days. They didn't have electronic (laughs) stuff and those things. Mm. So what he was doing each month, he was borrowing on the first day, paying it back uh, at the end of the month, but that check would not have been good until he borrowed again two days later. A very elaborate scheme. Uh, And we learned some big lessons in those days. But actually, it was a stroke of incredible luck for us uh, that we had that three-month delay in, in getting uh, our management thing squared away because in that three months, uh, a super talent became available, Dean Johnson. And we brought Dean in as manager. He has some of the highest... And Dean, by the way, was an incredible on-air talent. He worked for call letters that everybody in the business would know. K-Box, K-I-M-N in Denver, W-F-U-N in Miami, K-O-M-A in Oklahoma City, T-I-X in New Orleans, Coil in Omaha, K-D-W-B in Minneapolis. That's uh, when he he left Minneapolis. That's when he came in as our general manager. That was a new role for him. He'd been on the air before programming Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. and actually on air. So, How long did it take you to fire that other GM that was there before you put Dean in place? Uh, we uh, we didn't go out for coffee until we had that done. <laughs> so after we compared the notes, immediately, in other words, after we compared the notes, it was somewhere between eight and ten minutes. So Dean comes in doing you a good job, huh? 
Dean comes in, uh, he turns out, and this, by the way, was Dean's very first management job. Uh, he took over and just went crazy. Uh, the radio station and, and the format that, that Dean put in uh, was, well, actually no one would quite understand what the format was all about because we were top 40, uh, we were heavy on news, and we had local talk. How's that for a combination? Holy cow, that's uh, all over the place. <laughs> if you say all over the place radio, that was definitely what we were doing here. But mm-hmm. Dean put it together, and in Arbitron, we had better than a 50 share. And we were still Business was coming in. Everything was just going incredibly well. And we started getting fan mail from the North Dakota area. And this immediately became a problem because our signal was designed to protect North Dakota. There should have been no signal whatsoever going into that area. So we Uh hired a consulting engineer to come out and figure out why our signal was going up into the Dakotas. uh, And he spent six weeks on the job, and we were paying him by the day. After the fifth week, he said, I am so embarrassed that I can't figure this thing out. Uh, I'm going to stop paying you. You guys just cover my hotel and, and, and everything, and I'll continue with it till we get it figured out. Well, sure, he just made his retirement income. <laughs> so we're out at the transmitter. We're standing there on his, uh, at the end of about his eighth week. And he says to me, you know, I just can't figure this thing out, Don. And he's staring up at the towers. We're right underneath them. And he looks up and he says, wait a minute. Those towers are supposed to be 200 feet tall, and they can't be. So we had a tower climber go out and measure them, and the problem was each of the towers were 20 feet short. They were all 180 instead of 200. And this has to do with with the entire directional pattern and all of that. Mm -hmm. So... Now we have a huge problem on our hands because the, t- the towers have been there all along, which means the logs that have been forwarded to the FCC over the years had to be phony. <laughs> There's just no oh other way gosh. around it. Holy cow. So, <laughs> all those years. At this point, there is a field office for the Federal Communications Commission in Kansas City, and we concluded that we needed to get down there fast and let them know what we had discovered. We went on, we, we met with the regional engineer in charge of that field office, and he looked at what uh, our consultant laid in front of him, and then he turned around and screamed over a petition to the other FCC guy and said, Tommy, come in here and take a look at what these people in St. Joe have been getting away with for years. <laughs> He looked at it. They both stared at it for a couple of minutes, and and the consultant said, I don't know how long this is going to take to fix it. The FCC guy said, you take all the time you need because you guys came down here and you laid it out to us, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this information in a file folder along with a note that I have given you the time necessary to get it fixed. We're going to put all of this into one of my file cabinets back here. And by the Mm -hmm. time someone looks at it, we're all going to be retired. All right? (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That That was government at its best. 
Oh, my gosh, absolutely, because the only thing we ever heard about the FCC when I first got into radio was how mean they could be and how they were going to find the radio station and the owner and the general manager were going to be all upset and on and on and on. Don, I don't know anybody that's had the kind of interactions with the FCC that you've had that have come out without even a skinned nose. That's amazing. (laughs) That's really, really something. What it really says is that uh, those guys were just like all of the rest of us. They were trying to do a good job, and if you came clean with them, they would they would back you. You know, that's, that's outstanding. That's amazing. That's exactly so, what, what about the stations in North Dakota? Screw them. They just were going to get interfered with, huh? Well, it took a while, but uh, but our, they finally figured out uh, the necessary computations to get rid of that that uh, extra signal that was going up into the Dakotas there. It was an interesting story. Trip to the Kansas City field office, huh? Okay, good for you. <laughs> Were you a little nervous walking in initially? Uh, nervous would not be the word. Uh, I, I uh, <laughs> was scared to death. But uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we left there and, and things came off just fine. That's amazing. Then uh, after about three years, Dean decided it was time for him to fulfill a, a lifelong dream uh, and to head out to... Corvallis, Oregon. He, he was not going to become a duck, but he and his wife, Kathy, bought the radio station in Corvallis. So oh, nice. He, he is now an owner in Corvallis, and we are back needing a general manager again. Okay. So once more, we delved into the programming side of the business, and the program director, morning man, Greg Everett, who had been with the station for a number of years, did a great job as a PD, great on air. He became our new GM and continued the job for us uh, for several years before he got a bug and decided to go to California. <laughs> then, what goes around comes around. He's been in California about a year and he gets a call from Tom Elkins, his old <laughs> boss that we bought the radio station from. Mm-hmm. Tom had a, an FM in Maui. And he said, Greg, how would you like to manage my Maui station? Well, you know that oh took my about four minutes. <laughs> now, that's the opportunity of a lifetime. Holy smoke, yes. I wouldn't even hesitate, but, right? But, you know, it, it's an interesting play on, on our business. Uh, Dean uh, had been with a dozen radio stations, most of them uh, Todd Storer's properties. He was kind of Storer's go-to guy to fix things. But... Uh, He's one of these people who changed markets, moved around 10, 12 years, uh, then really found a home, ended up retiring from the broadcast business, moving back to his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, and his wife opened a high-end custom drapery business. And Kathy Johnson Draperies kind of took Omaha by storm, and Dean just kicked back and uh, was his wife's gopher in the radio business at that point. Let her do a little work right now. I don't know that I'd, I mean, I've been on Maui, and after a while, the island has a tendency to start to close in on you when you think about living on the mainland for all the years that you have. Uh, right. But yeah. still, what a great journey for him as well. Uh, and great all the story, time this Don. was going on, all the time this was going on, I was going back and forth from Indianapolis to Kansas City to St. Joe twice a month. 
And uh, it was an easy, easy flight uh, because just outside the airport gates or the, the airport entrance, there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken stand. And uh-huh. the flight from Kansas City at Indy was only an hour, so there was no food service. I would always be on the 7 p.m. flight. I would always, before I went into the airport, stop, pick up a three-piece dinner, get on the airplane, because you could do that before the security hit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Brought my three-piece chicken dinner with me, and we ended up having frequently the same flight attendants, and they nicknamed me the Chicken Man. <laughs> Up, oh, chicken man's on board tonight. <laughs> you want that vodka and cranberry to go with that, sir? Yes, thank you. <laughs> but it, back oh, of then, course, everybody in those, in those did, days, right? because the uh, the airfares were were inexpensive and the company was paying for it. In those days, we always flew first class. So I'm eating my Kentucky Fried Chicken in first class with a bunch of businessmen who are looking at me like, where did this guy come from? <laughs> I had no idea the proximity was that close where the, the, the big, powerful Kansas City... Uh... WHB. WHB. You know, at the beginning of uh, the podcast here a few minutes ago, uh, we played that little bit that uh, I'd done at... Uh, WLHT in Grand Rapids with my wife and our producer on there. She was so good, and after having listened to so many of our things on the air that we did together. But our producer was kind of an interesting guy, and uh, he just came out of nowhere, came in, had a little bit of radio experience from working somewhere, I can't remember, and uh, we hired him. His name was, uh, well, John Roberts, good guy. He was our producer, sidekick, did a ton of voices on the air. We just had a lot of fun when he was with us. We took him with us to our morning show conferences like Bitboard that uh, Kid Craddock ran here in Dallas, morning show boot camp with Don Anthony and so forth. You're a former smoker as well, right, Don? Oh, yeah. We all (laughs) were at one time. (laughs) Everybody in radio smoked, but I had quit maybe, well, a few months after Jerry and I had gotten married, but I still had that Jones. So whenever I would go to the conferences and we took John along, he was a smoker, uh, we would go outside and, and I'd steal a cigarette or two from him and we'd walk around and have a cigarette. And occasionally Jerry would catch me. And she would just look at me and go, oh, my gosh, really, Dave? And just shake her head in disgust. However, the good thing was she just went ahead because she knew that I'd go back home, stop smoking completely again. And I only really picked up a cigarette or two when I was at those conferences. And I would buy John and I a few packs of cigarettes. And I'd say, here, John, you take these and you got to hide them from Jerry. And there, of course, were a lot of other radio guys that smoked as well. So anyway, John was my smoke connection when we went to the conferences, too. Uh, Then he uh, had a little fall from grace. Uh, once again, we really enjoyed the work he did for us. I don't know what happened. He, I, a lot of people do this in radio, and you probably know some too, Don. But a lot of folks will start to get that feeling of, well, I've been in radio for a couple of years now, and I'm working with a morning show. It's time for me to do my own morning show. These were things sure. that he didn't, he didn't share with us. But uh, one day he came in, he'd been kind of grumpy and not really participating much. And so he said, I'm, uh, I'm going to quit, guys. I'm going to give you my two weeks. 
I'm just going to kind of travel around. I've got some friends out in California I want to go out and see. And he goes, I'm just a little burnout. Well, I thought, okay, a little burnout. Everybody experiences that. Uh, and so two weeks later, he's gone. We did a big goodbye on the air. And the following week after that, he ended up doing mornings on a competitive AC radio station in Muskegon. Fortunately, their signal wasn't as strong as ours, but uh, regardless, uh, he had lied to us and had just that wasn't gone it wasn't to- Muskegon, California, right? No, this was Muskegon, Michigan, and uh, it was a much smaller market. But uh, he wanted to do mornings, so uh, he did. And some of my friends that I had worked with and known through the years, a lot of them had run advertising agencies and things that I was still in contact with, would call me up and I'd mention his name and he'd just go, oh, he was so much better with you guys. (laughs) And I kind of felt sorry for John. He really wanted to do a good morning show, but he just... He was more the sidekick. You know, those guys, Don, have you ever heard and seen those guys? I'm sure you have. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There there are some people that that are much better uh, in a supporting role than in the leading role. Fortunately, uh, most of the people figure out their point in life uh, sooner rather than later. And people who are in supporting roles are extremely valuable to us uh, in the business. Yeah, absolutely right. But uh, he just just got real nasty with us. He went in and erased a bunch of my bits that I had on cart, and we just put them back in the cart rack. <laughs> I would grab it. I got to the point where I'd have to put things down into the Q channel to make sure that it was still there because I had so many things lined up back there, and he would just randomly gone through and erased some things that we had had and it just being vindictive and i couldn't understand why we were very nice to the guy and and problem with that is unlike you and bill robinson your buddy who was a great talent and worked for you there in indy john just completely stopped talking to us altogether. wouldn't talk to us after he started on the air at that other station never said another word to him. interesting but not unusual in the business and yeah It's something that, uh, fortunately, we didn't run into very often, uh, either one of us, during our careers. Fortunately, you're absolutely right. Now, next week, I want to talk about the gentleman that we called GQ Jim, and uh, we'll talk about him and our journey to West Michigan next time. What do you think, Don? Perfect. Awesome. Look forward to it. Right. And uh, thanks for your assistance in setting up our remote operation, because as I said to you before we started, I'm looking at all of this stuff on the screen, and frankly, it's over my head. But it seems like you pulled it off for us, Dave. Uh, Thank you. Have a great afternoon. No problem, Don. We'll We'll see you next week. for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.